Turn with me to Proverbs 7. Proverbs 7. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commands with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Find them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend. To keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice. And I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now on the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for its sober warning for us today. Help us as we listen tonight to the word. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Help me to be clear as we go through your scriptures. We just thank you so much that you've given us a divine handbook that we can follow for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight we'll be talking about purity, and it's kind of interesting that this text was written probably around 3,000 years ago, but the principles within it here are still so applicable for today. It's, it's full of timeless um, truths that we can apply to our lives, and so I think as we consider it, just know, I mean, this generally tends to be more of a thing that a that men struggle with in a, here at youth camps. But I think it's good for all of us to really take heed because as we look at it, we'll see that it's, it's more so just temptation in general. It's, it's the idea of lusting, of what we don't have. So, I mean, that's something that we all struggle with. And also, as we look through the story, we'll see that there is a man and a woman who uh, 
commit this act of sin. So if you're male or female, then this is for you. (laughs) So whether you are young or old, I just want to urge you to take heed because all of us will counsel people who struggle with this, whether we're parents or grandparents, to be our kids, our co-workers, grandchildren. So this is definitely something that Pretty prominent, unfortunately, in our day. It's uh, literally is at our fingertips on our smartphones and tablets. So I'll give you a little review of this section. If you're not familiar with it, really the the first nine chapters of Proverbs just give a lot of teaching about wisdom, and, and the main idea is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So as you look through these first nine chapters, there's just a lot of introductory stuff about wisdom and the path of the wise. And then also within here, there's a lot of stuff about the the way of the adulterer, about impurity. You see it a lot in chapter 2, 5, and 6. Just kind of sections here and there to address it. But here in chapter 7, we have a whole chapter that is devoted to this subject. So you kind of have three main sections. The first part of it is basically the father's positive instruction. He's given his son positive commands, what to do. And then he has a negative example. So in this negative part, you see basically a guy who doesn't take heed of his father's wisdom, and you see what happens. And then the final section is a warning. So it's kind of like a, now that you know what what can happen, be warned. So you have positive exhortations and an example and a negative exhortation. So how we're going to approach it tonight is I want to view it like this. Four tactics we must take to win the battle for purity. Four tactics, because this is a war, not something to be taken lightly. And as we will see, the consequences of not being on guard is fatal. So the first tactic that we're going to look at, we must guard ourselves with the word of God. So this is the foundation. If you want to be pure, you must know the word. Look here, verse 1, we have, first of all, my son. Let me just give you a little context before we look further. My son, speaking of Solomon, who is speaking probably to Rehoboam at the time. So, so what you have then is the wisest man who has who ever lived, except for Christ. And he's giving instruction and counsel to his son. So it's kind of neat. It's like the Lord is kind of letting us eavesdrop or peek into this. You know, what would this really wise guy say to his son? And then God has given us this um, in his word. So another way you can look at it is that God, our Father, is giving us counsel as his adopted children what we should do through these words of Solomon. And then also, just a good thing to consider is that uh, David was Solomon's father. And of course, we all remember the incident with David and Bathsheba, the, probably the most famous or infamous example of adultery in the Bible. So you have a man like David who followed after, a man after God's own heart who committed his sin. So this should be a warning for us um, that even someone like David could commit this. That's my son. 
And now you have kind of verse 1 through 5, the main point that, the, like I said, that we need to guard ourselves with the word of God. And where I get that is verse 5. So just look ahead for a minute. He basically is saying, keep my commandments, keep my wisdom. And in verse 5, to keep you from the forbidden woman. So the point of his teaching and his instruction and counsel is that it protects him. It's, it's the foundation so let's see what he has to say about his words and how we are to do that. How are we to guard? So verse, first it says, keep my words. And that term keep has the idea of watching intently. It's, it's kind of like what you would think of a watchman who's taking posts at night. They know that, or he knows, that an enemy force could be coming at any time. So this guard is watching intently. He's sacrificing his sleep and he's looking, and he's trying to be on guard. He's trying to make sure that no one comes. And if they do, he's going to warn the city of the impending threat. So, so this is how we are to keep the word of God. We need to guard it as if we were a soldier. And it also says here, treasure up my commands, commandments within you. So not only do we guard it, but we treasure it. So in the Hebrew, I, you know, Hebrew mentality, like with us, we think, okay, I it's a treasure. So you say you get, you find a diamond. It's really valuable. What do you do? You wear it maybe, or you put it in a safe because it's so valuable. You don't want someone to take it. Well, in the Hebrew mindset, the treasure was not so much to hide it because you have it, but you, you treasured it. You viewed it as important because of how useful it was. So that's the idea there. You're treasuring the word of God because it's useful. You're keeping it within you. Psalm 119.11 says this, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. So the, the idea there then, if, if you treasure it, as you store it, you keep it, it helps you not to sin. And why? Because Psalm 119.10 says, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. So really all this comes back to, as we seek the word of God, we're really doing that so we can seek the author. God himself. And as we know him more and more, then we'll become more and more obedient. So verse 2, he says, keep my commandments and live. So I think it's kind of a, a good reminder that God's word is good for us. It's for our good. Kind of like a divine instruction manual. So if you think about the uh, maker's of the Honda Civic. They have a little manual in the, there, and they say, give your car an oil change. And we think, oh, I don't want to do that. I mean, that costs money. It takes time. We don't like that. But we know that an oil change consistently helps our cars in the long run. And so the same with the Scripture. God, he gives us commands, and they're for our good, even though we may not, may not like it. And maybe in this life, we never really experience it. But the thing about God is he has a perfect eternal perspective. He knows how his commands will affect us long term. And unfortunately, we don't. We, <laughs> we're forgetful and we think about here and now. And we don't really think about the future. So keep my commandments and live, verse 2. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Now, this is kind of a, kind of a weird thing. What is he talking about here? And really what he's saying is just keep his teaching like you would your pupil. If you think about your pupil, it's 
it helps you to see. Um, so when I was in college, I used to play racquetball, and I used to be kind of dumb, and I would complain a lot. And, uh, and mainly, we had to wear these goofy goggles to protect our eyes. So I thought, this is stupid, and I complained to my guy I was playing with. So as soon as my complaint finished, I served, and then he returned it right at my face accidentally. And so the ball hit me right in the goggles and knocked them off. So I was suddenly very thankful for those goggles. I stopped complaining, and, uh, but they almost hit me right in my eye. And I just realized then it's just a good example of how much we appreciate our eyesight and how careful we should guard our eye. And just think what would have happened if I would have been hit in the eye and lost the sight of that one eye. Think of how much I would have guarded my other eye. And so that's how we need to be with the scriptures. We need to be guarding them. We need to be viewing them as valuable and as precious. In verse 3, it says, bind them on your fingers. So the idea there is you you think of it like a wedding ring. It's something that you bind, you put on your fingers. And the reason why it's on your fingers is because we tend to just see our hands the most. You think about in life, what is the body part of yourself that you see the most? It's just your hands. We always see them. So you want the scripture then to always be visible in whatever you do. So some examples for today, I would say sticky notes. Write them down. Write scripture on a sticky note and put it down somewhere. Put it on your mirror in your bathroom. And my wife recently, she started to decorate the house with scripture. Just, I think it's a great idea. Just have scripture everywhere. And for your wives, put the verse, um, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God in the kitchen. And, uh, and then also put do all things without grumbling or complaining in the kitchen when you have to cook you know, every day. So. <laughs> so bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, in our day and age, the heart is kind of a feel-good kind of thing. I love you with all my heart. And what we're saying is I have very strong feelings for you. I'm very emotional right now. Well, in the time, in the Hebrew mindset, the heart conveyed a lot more. It was, as my teacher said, is the mission control center. It's the center for your feelings, your emotions, your volition, your will. It would be like the inner man. So you want to write them on the tablet of your heart of who you are. You want the scriptures to just be everything. The way you act, the way you think, the way you feel, you want all that to be coming from what the scripture says. And I would say practically, memorize the scripture. I mean, what better way to write them down in your heart than to learn them, to memorize them? Now, verse 4 goes into more detail. Now it kind of goes into a, a relational kind of thing. It says, say to wisdom, you are my sister. So this is probably, speaking of a wife, if you uh, refer to Song of Solomon, he says, my beloved, my sister. So it could be a wife. But we definitely know that it was a very close relative. It's just, you want to consider the scriptures as close as you would your closest relative. And it says, call insight your intimate friend. So you want to be intimate with the word. You want to think about how, how well you know your spouse and how they know things about you that no one else would know. And that's how you want to be able to scripture. You just want to know it intimately. You want to be acquainted with it. And then verse 5, it's back to the main point. It says, keep you from the forbidden woman. So that's a purpose statement there. The reason why you're to do all these things is to keep you. And that keep you term is the same term 
as in verse 1 and 2. It has that same idea of guarding you. So the more you know the Scripture, then, the more it is within you, the more it guards you. So it has been said, the Word will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Word. So when we struggle with sin, we need to ask ourselves, how are we doing with spending time in the Word? And in my life, I'll be honest, I've found that when I realize, man, I'm really struggling with sin, and I think, how much time have I been in the Scripture? Most of the time, it's not much time. I, I see a connection there. That's something for us that we just need to consider. And then it says, to keep you from the adulteress with her smooth words. Uh, Proverbs 5.3 helps a little with this, because it's kind of different statement, smooth words. It says, for the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. So the idea there is, is that her speech is smooth, it's seductive, it's flattering. And as we know scripture, though, it keeps us from that, because it gives us wisdom and insight so that we can be on guard for that. We can kind of know what to expect. So if you want to be pure, know the word, study it, guard it, treasure it, memorize it, be intimately acquainted with it, and then it will guard you from the adulterous woman. And if you, you know, think about Jesus in the wilderness, what did he do? When he was tempted to sin, he went to the word, and the word was his guard. So the second tactic we must be aware of our foolish tendencies. So as we'll see, we're going to start looking now at what this foolish young man did. And I think what we'll find is that we are not so different from this man, what we do. Hopefully not, we're not completely like him, but there are times when we do things that are very similar to what he does. They're not very smart. So before we look at the fool, though, I want to go back to chapter 6. Um, turn to uh, chapter 6, verse 20. So just flip back a page. So he's been talking a lot, as we said, about his teaching, his wisdom, his instruction. And I'm just going to give you just a little example of what he's been saying, because if you look at the preceding context, he actually gives a bunch of commands. He says a lot about this issue. And then, as I said before, really this whole book is just full of it. So if you you're interested in studying more, just read a book of Proverbs, because especially the first nine chapters, it's a full of teaching on how to be pure. But look at verse 20. He says, my son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you are awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. So once again, it's very similar to chapter 7. He's saying, listen to my teachings and commandments. And in verse 24, to has that same word. To, it's time to say, keep, it's to preserve you from the evil woman. From the smooth tongue of the adulteress. So that same term there, smooth tongue. So similar concept here. And now we, got, we get some more specific commands here which are right before chapter 7. So it says, Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelids. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman 
hunts down a precious life. You have some rhetorical questions here. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So no, we can't. So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Wounds and dishonor will he get. And his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you, all, though you multiply gifts. And then the next part is saying, my son, keep my teaching. So you see here, there's just a lot of warnings against the immoral woman. So what, you, what I want you to do is think about, just think about that, all those commands he just gave. And now let's look at the second tactic and what this foolish man does. We'll see how, how well he does. <laughs> and he doesn't do very well. So verse 6, it says, for at the house at the window of my house, I looked through my lattice. So just a little bit of history here. Back in the ancient Israelite history, they didn't have windows on the bottom floor, bottom story, because of robberies, of robbers, and they didn't have glass. It was very rare because it was very, you know, just very expensive. So they would have windows up on the top stories. So he would, would have been up at a higher elevation looking out. In verse 7, and I have seen... Among the simple, I have perceived among the youth. So you have in here Solomon looking out, and he's seeing something happening. And I think this is just a good, just a good illustration that God is omnipresent. The fact that what will happen with this man and woman, they think no one else is watching, and yet someone is. So it's just a good lesson for us all that someone might be watching when we consider doing these sins. And... If, even if no one is, God is. Proverbs 5.20 says, For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. So we know that God always watches. And then it says in verse 7, Among the simple I have perceived among the youth. So you have then a man who was in a compromised place and a compromised time. He was naive and gullible. He was aimless, literally. He was, was the, these men he was among were the thoughtless ones, thoughtless ones. And, and just a good lesson from Scripture that bad company corrupts good morals. Now, this man was not in the company of wise counsel. Maybe if he would have been, they would have said, hey, don't go down that path. You don't want to go there. It kind of reminds us of the example of Rehoboam, Solomon's own son, who forsook the counsel of his older wise, wise men. And instead, he took the counsel of the young men, and it divided the entire kingdom. So this young man is with these foolish ones, and he is lacking in sense. So why was he? Because he was not guided by the scriptures. He was not guided by the wisdom that comes from God. And I think it's just something that we should consider, that God views those who commit these kinds of sins as foolish and lacking in sense. Matthew Henry says this, 
He was not principled as he ought to have been with wisdom and the fear of God, and so ventured to see without ballast, without pilot, cord, or compass. He knew not how to depart from evil, which is the best understanding. So he's out with the wrong crowd at the wrong time. And verse 8, it says, passing along the street near her corner. I think this is a great place to stop for a minute and think about. You know, If this guy would have never have been out late, if he wouldn't have been near her corner, then he never would have had to deal with this temptation in the first place. And I, how often do we do this? How often do we put ourselves willingly in a place of temptation? Let me give you an example. Let's say that you struggle with a, eating ice cream. Say you eat it every night and you realize, I'm addicted. I can't stop eating this. So you decide, I'm going to stop. I'm going to end my addiction today. My addiction of triple brownie, fudge chocolate ice cream at Kroger. Okay, so, so what would be the best thing to do? Okay, well, here's what you should do. Wait till you're really hungry, then go to the grocery store, walk down the aisle where ice cream is, open it up, pick up the ice cream, hold it, look at it, and then pray, God, help me not to buy this, right? Right? No, that's not. The best thing to do is to avoid it completely. Don't go to the grocery store when you're hungry, and then don't go down that aisle, period. Uh, well, I need to buy something down there. Well, just have your husband get it later. Um, just stay away. Don't. <laughs> have your husband do the shopping. This would be a good excuse right here. To... So this the idea that when you're, we're, we're tempted, we, we so often we do such dumb things. We, we go to the wrong places. We look at the wrong things. And we willfully put this temptation before our eyes. And, uh, and the thing is, we have enough temptation as it is with this world and the system and our enemy, Satan, who, as it says, he, like a lion, he's trying to devour us. So we, we don't need to help him, okay? So he's passing near her corner, and he's taking the road to her house. So he's flirting with temptation. You know, you think about David and Bathsheba. It says that at the time when men, when kings were out the war, David was at home. So just think what would have happened if he would have been doing what he was supposed to be doing. And if he wouldn't have gone out on that rooftop in the first place, none of it would have happened. So we got to avoid those tempting circumstances. Verse 9, it says, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of darkness. So you have here a progression. It's, a, it's almost dark, and it gets dark. And before you know it, it's the middle of the night. So you have a man who's wandering aimlessly. It's just... He's just kind of sitting around. He's not doing anything. And, uh, and I'm not saying to uh, never go out at dark at nighttime. But I do think it is a good warning for us that the night, for some reason, is uh, it's more tempting for us with sin. I think it's maybe we feel like we, can't get, we won't get caught or no one will see. It's just something about the night. And so he was wondering. And now the third uh, tactic, so we saw kind of what we what we could do, you know, the, the foolish lifestyle. But now tactic three, we must be aware of the tactics of the enemy. So now we're going to see what the enemy does. And what you'll find is this is a very uh, strong attack with multi, lots of factors. It's like blitzkrieg. Just, it comes at him from every angle. So it says in verse 10, and behold, the woman meets him. So this term behold, it's listen up. You know, it should be like a moment where you're like, whoa, this is 
What's going on here? This is pretty emphatic. Um, the woman meets him, and this would have been uncommon. You know, women in those days, they didn't go out alone at night. So that should have been the first warning from this man. Like, what is a woman doing meeting me in the middle of the night? And this literally is in the middle of the night. And a good lesson here is that temptation will come for you. So this is not something that's uncommon. It wasn't a fluke. This man was tempted. And just another reminder, if he didn't go out late, if he wasn't out all hours of night, he could have avoided this temptation in the first place. And it says that she was dressed as a prostitute. So temptation is attractive. In those days, more than likely, if we saw what a prostitute looked like then, we probably wouldn't think immodest because you think of the story of Judah and his um, stepdaughter and how she was dressed. She actually had a veil covering her face. But the idea here is that she showed that she was available. I think that's good for the ladies here to consider. Is what you're wearing showing your availability? That's what she was showing to him. And it also says she was wily of heart, meaning she was crafty and cunning. And it says of heart. So like I talked about earlier, how we need to guard the word of God in our heart. Her heart was one that was crafty and cunning. It was just like the way she was, just her nature, who she was. Verse 11, she is loud and wayward. So she makes herself known to all. She is unashamed. She is stubborn. I mean, that's not a commentary of our day. Loud and wayward. And it says her feet do not stay at home. So if you think about, you know, what is a godly woman, you can basically take this woman and do the opposite, okay? Godly woman, and she is gentle with a quiet spirit. She is modestly dressed. She takes care of the home and her husband. She loves her children. And yet, this woman was not doing that. Verse 12, it says, Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner, she lies in wait. So I think, just like today, in that time, temptation, it was all over the place. She was ubiquitous. She was everywhere. And you see that today in TV and magazines, billboards, you name it. We have, unfortunately, temptation everywhere. And that's how this woman was. In 13, we see how temptation delivers a thrilling shock treatment. It says she seizes him and she kisses him. So she was exciting him. She was appealing to touch. It's kind of like a Potiphar's wife when she grabbed on to Joseph. And then we have temptation Well, kind of a unique one. You probably won't see it when you read it. Verse 14, it says, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So you have almost like a, you get twofold attack here. Uh, She's tempting him, first of all, with her religious, I would say hypocrisy, but she's saying, look, hey, I'm, I'm spiritual. I go to church. I made sacrifices today. I paid my vows. And it kind of reminds me of uh, Martin Luther at the time when he was battling the selling of indulgences. And what would happen is people would sin, and then they would buy these indulgences to forgive them of what they did. So they're paying money to be forgiven. And this is kind of how this woman is. She has an appearance of godliness. 
but it's totally perverted. And then the other temptation here is that she appealed to his appetite. So you say, how do you get that? Well, if you look at Leviticus 7, this would have been a sacrifice that was offered where part of the meat would be sacrificed, and then part of it would be given to the priests, and then the rest they would take home, and they had to eat that night. It would be kind of like a Thanksgiving thing. That So they have to do the gross, terrible sacrifice of the animal, but then they get to celebrate afterwards with each other. So what she's saying then is, I have a lot of food. And back then, they didn't have refrigerators, so we got to eat it now. We, it's time to go and get some food. And it was good, high-quality meat. So she was not only tempting with her religious hypocrisy, but also just with his appetite. So she's also, verse 15, we have even more temptation. She appeals to his ego, says, so now I have come out to meet you. Notice the word you. I come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. So it's all about you. You are the one guy that I want to see. There's no one else. It's the providence of God that we happen to meet. You are the man. Um, so he appealed to his ego. And one thing about us men especially is we love ourselves. You ever look at a picture and you know you're in there, you always look for yourself, right? We just love ourselves. And so, so you are the only one in the world that I want. She's tempting his ego, his pride. He's making him feel good. And as we'll see later, she was lying to him. She, uh, it says many men have fallen to her. And mighty men. So he wasn't the only one, but she made him feel that way. More temptation. She tempts him with a really nice and rich experience. Says, I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. So what this is saying is she was a wealthy lady. Because first of all, at that time, people didn't have couches. It was, that was more of a first class thing. And uh, what they would do is they would recline at their couch to eat their dinner, which is kind of weird. We don't do that. But, uh, and the benefit of this was that those couches had covered, colored linens from Egypt. And so they were probably nice red-colored linens. They were exotic. And then she says, I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. So now she's tempting him with his senses. Uh, they, those would have been pleasant smells. And once again, they would have been incredibly valuable Wow, so it just would have been unique, would have been something that he hasn't really experienced before. And then finally, he, she gives the final temptation here. Well, not the final, second to final. She says, come, let us take our fill of love till morning. And this could be translated, let us be intoxicated with love till morning. And it's sad because earlier, in Proverbs 5.19, it says, be intoxicated always in her love. And it's talking about a husband and a wife. So this temptress is using the same kind of language. And she says, let us delight ourselves with love. So delight meaning let us rejoice. Let us be extremely happy. And it's sad to, to me to think that, uh, that love, <laughs> the way she defines love here, it's pretty similar to how we define it today. You know, once again, it's all about emotions and feelings. And I'm not saying that shouldn't be there, but I think, as the scripture says, true love is that you lay down your life for your friend. It's sacrificial love. Or we can think of 1 Corinthians 13, where it says that love is patient and it's kind, does not insist on its own way. 
I would, just, I would say love is unconditional and it's a commitment. And this is not what is happening here. This is lust. Now we have a very uh, smart tactic here. The woman is pro- probably noticing that the guy is a little tempted, but that he may, may be a little concerned. So she clarifies. She says, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. So she gives him another method of temptation. It's consequence-free temptation. You don't have to worry about anything. My husband is gone. The fact that he took a bag of money showed he was a very wealthy man. And you know, back then, they didn't have credit cards or anything. They had money in the bag. So she could tell based on how much he had, how long he would be gone. So she knew that he would be gone for quite a while. So, you know, my husband has gone on a long business trip, you know, could be what we say today. I know when his return flight is, and it's not for a few days. So I think for today, we should consider, um, are we ever in these kinds of environments where we have no fear of getting caught? I would say for any of you who are, are single or who are dating, to avoid these situations. Avoid any place where you're not afraid that someone will walk in the room. That's something that my wife and I made a commitment, and we, we always went most of the time to public places. And if we were going to go to one of our houses, if no one was home, we didn't go. We just stayed away, and it's just a challenge for all of you just to err on the side of caution, I'll say. So 21, it says, with much seductive speech, he persuades him. So she is persistent. She does not give up. Persuade, meaning she turns him aside. That's how it is in our world. Temptation doesn't give up. It's not like if you win one battle, you're done, and you're good. You don't have to ever deal with it again. It's a constant battle. And that's why we have tactics we're looking at to win the battle, because it's going to keep coming at us. So she persuades him with her smooth talk. She compels him. Once again, that term, smooth, which we saw back in verse 5, is seductive. It's it's pleasing. It drips honey. Now we see the consequence in verse 22. It says, all at once, he follows her. Unfortunately, you know, I wish they would say, all at once, he says, I will not sin against God, and he runs away like a crazy man, like Joseph did, but he doesn't. Unfortunately, this man, he's a good example of what Joseph didn't do, and uh so he follows her, and that's something important to consider. She doesn't, at that point, like force him to come, and there's no way he can stop. He follows her, kind of like when James when uh, says, we are Lord, and we're enticed by our own desires. So when we sin, we're like fish. We're like dumb fish. We're swimming. We see this juicy bait, and we bite, okay, the, when you're fishing and you catch a fish, it's not your fault. I mean, you tempt the fish, but at the end of the day, if fish never bite, you're not going to catch anything. Because that's how we are when we sin. It's our fault. And that's what this man did. Like the dumb fish, he took a bite from the bait. And what happened? Well, it says, as an ox goes to the slaughter, this is how it was for this man. So you think about an ox, they're dumb. Dumb animals. When we 
We take ox to be slaughtered. They don't know any better. They're just walking there, and before you know it, they're dead. That's how it describes this man. He's like a dumb ox. And it says, or as a stag is caught fast. So you have here then the image of a deer that is caught in a trap. And this deer is unable to escape. Verse 23, till an arrow pierces his liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. So you have all these hunting illustrations here. And, and what's going on it, we go, why in the liver? Well, what happens is when you get hit in the liver, if you're an animal, it's a long, slow, painful death. And it's certain. There's no stopping it. But it's not quick. It's, it's long and agonizing. And that's what happens to this man. And then we have the example of the bird rushing into a snare. It's quick. It's all of a sudden think about the bird, they're only looking at the bait. They're not thinking of the consequences. The same with this man. So with all these examples, it's not like a, the bird gets caught, but thankfully it flies out. It's, it's irrecoverable. These, all these animals, there's no turning back. And it just shows that this is a destructive sin. We need to be on guard. When commentator Put it like this, it is his life, his precious life, that is thus irrecoverably thrown away. He is perfectly lost to all good. His conscience is debauched. A door is open to all other vices, and this will certainly end in his endless damnation. So it begins the slippery slope for this man. Final tactic, we must guard our hearts comes from the remaining verse, verses. And this is kind of like the main point of it all. We need, a, we need a fight from here, from the heart. It says, and now, O sons, listen to me. So notice in 24 that he says, O sons. He's, now it's plural. Before it was singular. So he's extending the message to everyone. It's just showing how important this is. He says, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. So note again, going to have a list of commands, okay? This is urgency. It's almost, it's like the father is pleading with his son, please listen to me. It's the idea of being attentive here. It's, it's hearing with the intention of obeying. So it's more than just hearing. It's be attentive, listen so that you will obey. Verse 25, let not your heart turn aside to your ways. So the heart is the key. Sin begins in the heart. As Jesus said, if you lust in your heart, then you've actually committed adultery in your heart. Our thoughts and our desires, that's where the battle, that's where we need to begin. We've got to fight those because those thoughts and those desires will ultimately, ultimately will lead to the actions that this man took. It's like has been said, when a man falls, he doesn't fall very far. Because there's been a long process, a long battle in the heart that has happened to get them him to that point where he commits. The idea of falling, by the way, he, he's not really falling. He's purposely um, committing this act. So pastors don't fall into adultery. They commit it. And, uh, and it starts with the heart. So verse 25, let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. 
So the next thing, guard your heart and stay away from her. Pray that you will not put yourself willingly in tempting circumstances. Don't just pray that, Lord, help me to fight temptation. Pray that he will keep you away from the tempting circumstances in the first place. And why? Well, verse 26, for many a victim he has laid low. So like I said earlier, she said, I have come to find you. It's all about you. But no, really, she's had many victims. And all her slain are a mighty throng. So this is a temptation for us all, for mighty men. Think about Samson, such a mighty man in the Bible, so strong and powerful. Think what happened with him because of the immoral woman. So we all need to take heed if we think we stand, lest we fall. And 27, her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. So if you think about, she talks so much about how nice her house would be, about her, her nice furniture and how good it would smell. And in reality, it's just a chamber of death. And it's the way to Sheol, the way to death or hell. And notice it's the way. So it may not necessarily be instant. It could be, but it, go, it takes one down that path. So this is definitely a sober warning for us today. This sin will affect you physically. It will ruin you financially. It will destroy your reputation. And ultimately, your sin will find you out whether in this life or in the one to come. And if one commits this sin, not only do you have to have, it could be terrible physical consequences, but you have the conscience, you know, how bad that would be. Staying conscious, always feeling guilty about it. Not only that, but dishonoring the Lord. So what is the solution? We need to, we need to follow the path, the wise father. We need to guard our hearts the scriptures. We need to forsake the path of the fool and avoid temptation. And we need to be on guard for the tactics of the enemy. We need to know our enemy. And then we need to know the fatal consequences of the sin and guard our hearts from it. So I'll end it with a quote here. Thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ who cleanses us from our sin and makes us wise Though we prostitute ourselves with the world, he has, brought, he has bought us with his blood and cleanses us by his grace. He purifies and transforms us. He quenches our spiritual thirst and provides the ultimate satisfaction for our souls. He rejoices over us just as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. Make him your first love. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, you for the the warnings that you give us and the examples and the illustrations. Lord, we confess we are often like this foolish young man. We put ourselves willfully in tempting situations. We oftentimes flirt with sin instead of fleeing from it far away as possible. Lord, help us to be grounded in your word, because in your word, we are given protection. Your word is a shield for us. It helps us to fight the battle for purity. 
We thank you so much, Lord, that through your spirit, through your word, we are able to overcome this sin. So help us, Lord, to be doers of the word this week and to not only hear what we heard tonight, but think of how we can apply it in our lives to come tomorrow, this week. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.